heard in TV, in TV shows. Um, and so uh, I want to kind of draw the, the parallel here that if the book of the Bible we're going to be looking at, if this book of the Bible were a TV show, it would be a reality TV show. It would be a reality TV show because there's no shootouts, there's no explosions, car chases, miracles even, and there are no aliens. hate to break that to you. But what there is is a lot of talking, lots and lots of talking. And of the 85 verses in this whole book in the Old Testament, um, 60 of them are dialogue. 60 of them are dialogue. So it's people talking. And, but I think even more importantly, I think it has to do with reality because we see ourselves in the story. We see ourselves, real people, in the story. And not only that, but we also see Jesus. Back, thousands of years before Jesus, we see a glimpse of Jesus. And, and actually, th- th- this book is often called a gospel in a way because it communicates the truth of God's work and plan for people. So we're calling this The Bachelorette. Yay, right? Because guess who it's a story of? A bachelorette. Actually, multiple bachelorettes. Um, And also, I want to say this, it gives us a chance to redeem that title. Um, Because that's what the book of Ruth is really about. The story of the book of Ruth is about redemption, about God's grace. It's a precursor to Jesus, really telling the story of what God is doing. We're going to be looking at that through the series. And so chapter by chapter, we're going to be following uh, the person of Ruth from to, to Moab, to Bethlehem, to the days of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, and homes, and conversations, and roads, and workplaces, all the normal stuff of our daily lives. And it's interesting, the book itself, if you're wondering about like, who maybe wrote it, um, we have different scriptures, different books in the Bible that were written by different people. Well, there's a Jewish tradition that gives uh, a man named Samuel the, the kind of props to writing the book of Ruth. But actually, most modern scholars don't agree with that. Because if you flip all the way to the end, um, you see that the end of the book ends with David's name. But yet we know historically that Samuel, he had actually died before David became king. So there's really no way for that to loop together. But most likely, most likely the book of Ruth is, is really interesting. It was first recorded, like meaning written down, around the year 1000 BC. Around 1000 BC. But we know that it was told by oral tradition for centuries before that. It was told by people sitting in homes, around campfires, telling the story. There were professional storytellers that memorized word for word these stories. And some even say this, that there were female storytellers who would especially tell the story of Ruth. And so some scholars think that the book of Ruth was actually first penned by a female. Um, And it's interesting because... The book, it begins in kind of a poetic oral form. If you could read Hebrew, which is the original language it was written in, um, it, if you could read the Hebrew, it was it's kind of like a poetic. Not necessarily rhyming, but there's rhythm there. And, and so it was meant easy to remember, think about that, by storytellers telling these stories about how, uh, the, about how God's work in Ruth's life. Um, but, and, and so God uses ordinary people, think about that, to tell his story. He uses ordinary people. And we see in the story that uh, just overall, there are two women, two women in leading roles in the story. And, and I want to indicate this to you that this is the only book, the only book in the Bible that that's true. The only book. That women, uh, it's, it, it's estimated that there's, there's about 2,000 names in the Bible, 2,000 names of men and women. Can you guess how many of those names are women overall in the Bible? 
about 150 to 200. 2,000 names, only like about maybe 15, 10, 15, 15% of those names are listed as women. But, but these women, these women are, are not stereotypes. They're real. They're also flawed, believe it or not. They, they change and they grow in this story, just like we do. But what's also important to show is that there are no miracles in the whole book of Ruth. There are no miracles. There's no parting of the sea. There's no healing of the sick. There's no raising of the dead. And actually, in the whole book, God never appears. Interesting. God never appears. But, but we do see that on every page that the presence and power and the providence of God does appear. Mainly because God is not in the title role, but God is at work behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, before even anyone realizes it. And so the beginning of the story, we're going to start that today, uh, speaks really to, to kind of this idea of those feeling stuck and in a place that you know you shouldn't be, that you may be looking out for God and trying to look and see what his fingerprints are in your life. Um, so we're going to start off with Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, just the first two verses here. So, so the story begins... In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahon and Kilon. We're going to get to that. They were uh, Ephronites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So the whole story starts, this is really important. It starts off in the days when the judges ruled. Um, does anyone know what book in the Bible is before Ruth? Like if you had a paper Bible, you know, I mean, it's also on your phone too. But what, what book is before the book of Ruth? Any of our Bible wizards here? Judges, Judges. So exactly, the book of Judges. And if you go to the book of Judges, if you read the book of Judges, really interesting book, lots of things going on. But one verse is repeated over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And it's even the last verse in the book. And we're going to put that up on the screen. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Over and over and over again. So this is the context that Ruth takes place. This is when Ruth was living. This is when these people were living. So what's going on is really like a post-apocalyptic setting here. It's kind of like a survivor in a way, too. Because everybody's out for themselves. They want to survive. They do what's right in their own eyes, right? They just do whatever. You know, some of us can, like, relate to that, right? Um, but I want to take a look at the participants here. First, we have Elimelech. Say that name, Elimelech. Elimelech, awesome name. So he was the husband and father. And his name, guess what it means? It means God, my God is king. My God is king. All, lots of people in the Bible have their names representative of some kind of meaning. His wife is Naomi. Say Naomi. Naomi, and her name, guess what that means? Sweet or pleasant. Um, and so we're told that they have two children, two children. And, and at the time, um, maybe you'll pick up this tradition, but at the time, the tradition was to name their children on the basis of one of two things. The first thing that they could name their child uh, was prophetically based on what they wanted to see in a child's life, meaning they would name like strong or godly or joyful or, or happy, or successful, or, or loved by God. Um, they can name them what they wanted to see, or they name the child based on what they saw, meaning ugly feet, red head, 
big boy, big girl. Like, that's what they would name. And so in this case, it's likely that they named their children based on what they saw. So Malon, guess what that means? Malon, sick, sickly. He was a sickly child. Imagine that, your whole life, right? You were sick as a baby. Now you're named sickly your whole life. The, the other son, Kilion, guess what his name means? Frail or tired. Frail or tired. In other, me, in other words, basically the parents would say when they'd introduce their children, hey, meet our kids, sick and tired. <laughs> right? Some of you didn't know that was an option. But, but basically, we, we start off with my God is king, Elimelech, with sweet and pleasant, which is Naomi, with their boys sick and tired. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But, but they're, they're, they're in this time period, and everybody's doing whatever they want. And, and so what happens is a famine hits. A famine hits, and Elimelech, the father, he's, he's worried about his family. So he makes a, a big, big choice for his family, and he decides to pack everybody up from the town of Bethlehem. Hold on to that thought for later. From the town of Bethlehem and move everybody to Moab. So this is kind of a picture of that distance. So it's basically like a 50-mile journey. So it's like you starting off today and walking to Reading. That's about how far it is. So we overlook this part, but there is significance of where they went to, of going to Moab. See, God had strictly forbidden his people from living in Moab, from living in Moab. Well, why? Well, Moabites, people living in Moab, were descendants of a guy named Moab. And we're not going to go there, but basically if you flip all the way back to Genesis chapter 19, you see there's a story of this guy named Lot and his daughters, this is kind of crazy, like there's really crazy stuff in the Bible, by the way, but uh, Lot's daughters basically get him drunk, and they sleep with him, and they conceive this guy, and guess what they name this child? They name him Moab. Basically, this person born out of incest, but he goes on, and so the Moabites kind of developed from that family line, and the Moabites started to worship the false god Chemoish, Chemoish, this false god they made up, And guess what they would actually do with that false god? They would sacrifice children. They would sacrifice children. Psalms 60, verse 8, God says, Moab is my wash basin. Like, that's how, like, bad this was. This group of people you did not want to associate with. So imagine, this is the story, guys, right? That he takes his family, Elimelech takes his family from his hometown of Bethlehem to the place that God forbade him to the place that God had forbidden. And it's interesting because this guy, Elimelech, his name means God is king, he did what was right in his own eyes. He did what was right in his own eyes. And of course, we can't be too hard on him because, you know, you do weird things when you get hungry. People call it hangry, right? Imagine famine. Famine probably does crazy stuff to people and makes you make all kinds of decisions. But but I think it's a good caution for us Because we can do that too. We can rationalize just about any behavior, even even if it goes against what maybe what what God is kind of pointing us to. We we need to be careful of that. But but you think about this. It's a tough time, right, for this family, for all the people. And I think it's good to examine in our own hearts, in our own lives, what what do you do? What do you tend to do when times get tough? What do you think when times get tough? What is your Moab? What is your Moab? What's the most tempting thing for you to do when things go wrong or don't go your way? 
You know, that, that you too, like Elimelech, oh, all of us, that God may be king in our life, but sometimes we too do what is right in our own eyes. And it's good for us to examine that. And I think the book of Ruth begins to show us that. So, so let's go on from here. So what happens? So they leave their home in Bethlehem. And things work out fine until, starting in verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, another Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So, so this is the first heartbreak here. First, Elimelech dies. Elimelech dies, and we don't know what happened. It just says that he dies. Like, was it a stroke, a heart attack? Was he hit by a camel? I don't know. <laughs> but, but what we do know, what we do know is that he, this all kind of left Naomi in a really, really bad place. Left her in a bad place. She's far from home. She's in this, this foreign land. You know, she's with her two boys. But, um, but, and who remembers how far apart these places were from home? About 50 miles, right? Two days, two days journey, probably, without potty breaks. <laughs> and yet, we're told that she stays there 10 years. 10 years. Her sons married Moabite women who were, once again, forbidden. You shouldn't marry them. They're, they're not God's people. Um, and maybe we need to cut them some slack. Maybe they were really, really cute or something. They really liked them. They, maybe the guys thought, hey, I can convert these women, so I'm going to date them and that kind of thing. I don't know, that, that kind of thing. But anyway, but ironically, the family leaves Bethlehem, left Bethlehem to avoid dying. And what happened? They died. Three. Three of them died. So episode one, episode one of The Bachelorette leaves us first with three bachelorettes who are actually widows, who are actually widows. And maybe you can relate, maybe on that line. But, but have you ever felt, find yourself someplace that you never thought that you would be? I don't think any of them imagined that they would be there. Maybe something in your life has not turned out how you thought. And that's where they are. That's us. That's you in the story. Feeling like abandoned or mistrusted or, or you don't know what the future holds or maybe you made a bad decision. Um, and, and so finally, finally, we're told that Naomi decides to make a decision. What does she decide to do? Go home. Go home. She decides to turn around and go back to Bethlehem. Back to Bethlehem. And so the story continues. Then Naomi, she made that decision. She said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She wants to send them home, too. They were from Moab. So go, go on home. I'm going to go home. You all go home. And we see, three, we see different reactions from these women. First, we have Orpah, who is the one um, daughter-in-law, Orpah. And Orpah actually does just, like, just that. She decides to stay in Moab. She decides to stay in Moab and to go home. And so we're told that at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So I imagine that Orpah, who sometimes if you read it really fast, what, do you, what word do you read, what name? Oprah, right? I imagine she went home, started a nice TV talk show, which blew up. And turned into a great success, right? I don't, I don't know if that's true, but maybe it was. But anyway, but, but she goes home. She decides to go home to her home in Moab. But then Ruth, what does Ruth do? 
she decides to go with Naomi. Naomi is shocked. Naomi tries to convince her again, like, hey, come on, like, you're not from there, like, you're going to go back with me, why of all this? It's kind of crazy, go, Orpah just left, like, but in verse 16, Ruth speaks for the very first time in the book, and this is often used as a wedding verse, by the way, it's not really the context, but this is what Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So so what we hear from Ruth in this is, is a massive declaration. First, of loyalty to Naomi, but then a big, big second thing, loyalty to God. Think, she'd been worshiping this God Shemoish, remember, with the child sacrifice and all that stuff. But here is a turning point. She calls the God of Israel her God. It's, it's crazy. Like, nobody would ever think that's possible. Nobody would ever think that that would happen. And we don't know, the scripture doesn't really tell us why, why, but, but I imagine I imagine maybe she had seen something, she had heard something in Naomi's life, in her, her husband's life over the years, that even as imperfect and messed up and making their own decisions that were not godly, even in those imperfect situations, God used it and pointed them to her. And so don't underestimate the power of your witness. Even over the years, you too may be surprised in the beginning or the end of the story that she turns to the God of Israelites and she turns to leave, to go home with Naomi. Essentially, Ruth and Naomi, they they left Moab. They left their Moab. They're doing their own thing. They're, I think I know what's right. They left that to return to God in Bethlehem. And so this, this is a real picture. Like I said, the book of Ruth is really a, a picture of the gospel, the good news. It's a picture of what the Bible calls repentance. Repentance. And the reality of repentance, the, the word if we break that up is re means turn and pent means highest. So, so they're returning from the lower place of Moab to the higher calling of Bethlehem. Uh, the word in Hebrew meaning returned or to turn around is shuab. Shuab. And, and you won't believe this, but this word shuab appears 1,100 times in the scriptures. Turn around. Go home. Turn around. Come back to me. Those kinds of sayings. But the thing is, in order to return to Bethlehem, to where God wants you, you have to turn your back on Moab. You can't be going to Moab and Bethlehem. At this, they're 50 miles apart in our own lives. You can't go to Moab the same time we're going to Bethlehem. You know, just like you can't get to Maryland by taking 15 north. It's impossible if you're living here, right? You have to do what? Get southbound and turn around. Turn around. That's what repentance is. It's turning around, making a decision to say, hey, I've been going my own way. I thought this was right, but guess what? I need to turn back to God. And that's what repentance is. Sometimes preachers, you know, standing up here like me are like, repent, repent, right? That's why nobody sits in usually in the front rows because you're afraid of the hellfire and brimstone and stuff. And repent, repent, repent. Or repent really means just turn around, go back to him, go back to God, go back to where he really wants you and who he's called you to be. 
And the reality is we repent usually, first, when things aren't going well. Second, when someone points us to the path. That's Naomi here. Or we repent when we recognize that we've been wrong. And I can attest to this because yesterday I did a trail race that was supposed to be um, about like 15 and a half miles. And for me, it turned out to be about 17. Because what did I do? I went my own way. Well, I didn't actually see the little ribbons that were hanging up, but go along and then realize like, oh no, I'm out of the, you know, I'm not on the course anymore. So what did I have to do? Well, with a little bushwhacking through the woods and walking along some train tracks, probably illegally, I eventually made my way back to the trail, but it required me to turn around. Sometimes you got to go out of your way to get back to the place that God wants you to be. But to go where God wants you to be, you have to leave where you are. You can't stay in both. And I think this highlights an important truth. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. Well, Ruth makes one decision. One decision. She turns her back on Moab to go back to God in in Bethlehem, to go to where she's been invited and welcomed. And one decision, imagine this, one decision, one turning around, One act of repentance, one choice, changes the trajectory of her entire life. One choice. Her life, her legacy, and what becomes her history. Because, have you ever heard of Bethlehem before? Who here's heard of Bethlehem? It means house of bread, but who was born there? Jesus. Thousands of years later. This is kind of a spoiler alert, but Jesus was a descendant of an outsider Moabite woman who decided to turn to God. Crazy. The crazy grace of God that's just all invasive and changes the story we think that's being written, but it all started with one bachelorette's repentance turning around. And so the chapter ends with this. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So this is the end of episode one, folks. And if you want to binge it, the good news is you can read ahead in the book of Ruth and binge the whole thing. But I wonder, I just wonder, is there some part of your life that's still in Moab? To get where God wants you to be, you may need to leave where you are. And for Naomi, it meant going home, going back to where she came from. She had roots as a follower of God. Maybe that's part of your story. You know, turning around and saying, hey, I was, grew up in this, and I want to turn around and go back to it. For Ruth, a little different story. It meant going to a new home, leaving what she had thought, what she was used to, what she had been brought up in, and stepping into a new story. And maybe for you, maybe you didn't grow up with religion or church or anything, and this is a new chapter for you in turning around. But is there something, is there something you need to return to that you know you need, or is there something you know you need to walk away from? physically, relationally, mentally, spiritually, because every journey with God begins with that one step of repentance, of turning around. And the moral of the story, you get to the right place, you do need to leave where you are. And who knows? Just like we'll continue with the story of Ruth, who knows who or what may be up ahead because of it. Let's pray.